The world is like a ride at an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think. Feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey brothers, welcome back to the Liberation Mental Podcast. I know we haven't had an episode of the show for a while. I've been busy focusing on other things. I'm launching a new business uh, on 1st of June that I'm getting ready for. It's taking a lot of my focus and my effort. and Also, the coaching work is starting to get quite intense now, so I'm putting a lot of focus on that. And uh, also just created a new website for Liberation Mentor, which took a hell of a lot of time and energy. I'd appreciate it if you guys would head over and check that out. It's liberationmentor.com. It's way better than the last site. Last site was kind of a placeholder while I waited for the vision of what I was doing to kind of crystallize and clarify, and it's finally done that. And so I've just put out this really, what I think is a really cool new, new site. And if you'd go and check it out and hopefully share it, that would be fantastic. And today I have a wonderful guest on, just a bit of context, you know, I started my foray into podcasting with the show London Real. I was a co-creator of that show with Brian Rose, this was going on eight or nine years ago. And, you know, I put a a lot of effort and and work and basically my heart and soul into that show and uh, things ended in a certain way that was less than ideal and it didn't go where I wanted it to go. And uh, I was really hurt by that for a long time. It really, it really, uh, it cut me real deep is the only way to put it. And one of the things that came out of London Real was my friendship with my upcoming guest, Thomas. He was a fan of the show and he reached out to me and and said, I'd like to meet you if you're ever in LA. And uh, it just so happened a few months later, I was heading out to LA on a trip And I reached out to him and we met up and we instantly hit it off. And we developed a very powerful friendship and he subsequently become one of my very best friends. And one of the ways I got over my, the hurt and the the difficult emotions I had over London Real was realizing that my friendship with Thomas came out of it. And that was worth it for any of the the negative things that were outweighed by the friendship I have with Thomas. It's not just because we get on so well, but it's also because... He's just an incredible man. You know, he's one of those people, he's so full of life and spirit and he's so charismatic and fun and healthy and just great to be around that he, every time I see him, it puts a smile on my face. Even now, just the thought of him puts a smile on my face. And for me, I'm, I'm really making a focus or, or a concerted effort on having my life be filled with people and things that do that. You know, like for me, it's... Uh, I was just speaking to a client about this the other day. Your energy is your energy is the barometer of, of the direction of whether you're moving in the right direction or not, you know? So you have to pay very close attention to it. And you have to ask yourself the question, whenever you've spent time with someone or spent time doing something, that has that energized you? Or how does it change your state? How does it make you feel? And if it lifts you up and gives you energy, then do more of it and you're going in the right direction. If it makes you tired that's the key indicator. If, if it makes you tired, if your energy drops and you feel drained afterwards, then you, I would suggest you cut it out or you move away from it or you recontextualize your relationship with it. And Thomas is just one of those guys. Like he's one of those people that just lifts me up. And I think that you guys will enjoy this conversation because it lifted me up. 
Okay, guys, as usual, if you're enjoying the show, leave a review on iTunes. It really means a lot to me. It helps a lot. And uh, unfortunately, all of the retreats until end of summer have been canceled, obviously, because of this COVID-19 craziness, but still doing the one-to-one coaching work. If you want to change your life in massive, positive ways, head over to the website, see some of the testimonials, see some of the amazing results that others have had, and book a call with me, and we'll we'll get you to where you want to go. Without further ado, here is Liberation Mentor Podcast, and our guest is Thomas Faustine Huskin. Enjoy. Hey, guys, I'm here with my exceptionally wonderful and close friend, Thomas Huskin, who is... Man, I, Thomas, I say this to you every single time I see you, but you are vibrating at a very high frequency, brother, and you always lift me up. And I'm so happy to finally have you on as a guest after the amazing run we had with Digital Communion all those years ago. And you know, I've been wanting to have you on my show since since then, and it just hasn't happened, but you're finally here, and thanks for coming on. Hey, man, thank you for having me. I've been very excited to come on and catch up. It has been a few years now, I guess. And uh, man, we have a lot to talk about. We really do. I mean, so we, just for some background info, for those who didn't listen to my one of my previous shows, Digital Communion, Thomas and I started that show. And I think we got about, what, like 20, 25 episodes in, Thomas? Mm-hmm. And, you know, just because of the way life was at the time for both of us, we kind of, we couldn't really keep it going. But I was really devastated by that because... I just felt like the, the chemistry between us and the way we work together, it was just amazing. And I still think that we'll, we'll do some kind of show or something together in the future or maybe bring you on as a, like a, a regular uh, co-host on Liberation Mentor. But since then, I have been wanting to have a conversation with you and I've been wanting to talk to you specifically about the fact that you're a dad now, right? Because in our last, in our, in our last conversation, just our last one-to-one episode on digital communion. Well, we were talking about how happy we were, both were to not have children, how it was, wasn't for us and how <laughs> like we, we were too selfish and we had too much going on. And it turns out you are now the father of almost two-year-old twins. Wow, that's true. It's funny, you and I were just chatting a little bit before this about like, okay, well, I wish I could have revisited that episode and, and caught up on where my mind was at the time, but I don't really think I need to because if I'm honest, my brain kind of goes there on a daily basis, just depending on how challenging it is given the day and what the kids are doing. But the gist of it for the people who haven't listened to that was, yeah, we were both pretty happy and satisfied and in the knowledge that having children was not in the cards for us. Mm -hmm. And my situation changed in let's see, I guess 2017, I started working as a software developer at Lightstorm Entertainment. And, you know, I kind of crept towards this idea of actually, you and I had chatted, I chatted with a doctor friend of mine who said, you know, what happens to people as they get older, who don't have kids, they become extremely narcissistic and self-absorbed and they believe that you know they they're just basically trying to keep age at bay because that's all they have to focus on. And I was like, well, damn, I'm like that already. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm pretty much screwed. Like that's me. He's talking about me. And then you and I sort of spoke about 
uh, ayahuasca and the breadth of human experience? Could you have a full human experience if you hadn't, you know, taken the medicine? Um, and that was a really interesting conversation. But basically, the long and short of it was, I determined at a certain point, selfishly, like, hey, listen, I am shortchanging myself on the breadth of human experience if I don't have and raise children. And that's kind of how I got over the hump in my own mind of what that would mean, you know, and how my life would change. But I still, you know, every single day, I think about what it was like before and what it's like now. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, depending on how challenging the day is, it's like, man, I, I really you know, wish I had my old life back or I can't believe how incredible my new life is. Hmm. That's, that's a powerful statement. You know, it's, it's something I go back and forth on often, but to be honest, less and less. And I think it's because I've come to a place where I, I'm so happy and content, truly, that even if I am missing out on something, I'm okay with that because you know, I'm at a, I'm usually at like an eight or a nine. And if there is a 10, that's great. But there's <laughs> also a risk that it could drop me down to a six or a seven. Right. And like, man, I'm, I'm just loving life at the moment. And, uh, I appreciate, you know, what I appreciate is your, especially in the beginning when the kids first arrived and I, I'd call you up and I'd be like, Thomas, lay it on me. What's it like? Just give it to me straight. <laughs> and, and you, you were, you were honest with me. You were like, sometimes it's fucking horrible. You know, like sometimes i I do believe your specific phrase was sometimes I have murderous thoughts. <laughs> um, yes. Which, and, and, and you know, I have another friend, I won't mention his name, but he once said to me, he had kids about a year before you or two years before you. And he said to me, Nick, no one is going to be honest with you about how fucking horrible this is. Right. <laughs> and, and, and to be honest, he's changed a lot now. And, you know, he, he, his kids are a little bit older. And I know that first part is really difficult with the lack of sleep. And you don't really have a much of an interaction with the kid because it's, it's not really that sentient. And I get that that part's really hard um, and that it gets easier. But still, it's, I, I know it's not just amazing all the time like everyone claims it is. I just don't believe that. Yeah, well, you know, I think what really bugged me that first year, and and yes, you're right, the first year was super dark for me, and I was always really honest about that with anybody who would ask. And, it, you know, I think it kind of turned some people off because it's like, you know what, stop complaining about it. It's hard for everybody. I think the thing that irks me is I thought I was above the same... I get it. It's hard for everybody, the sleep deprivation, yada, yada. I thought I could deal with it <laughs> and just be above it. but. I am prone to the same simple human needs and complaints that any other person is. You're not, you're not superhuman and having children really puts that front and center. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you want to talk about the ceremony that changed it all or if you, you want to avoid kind of that kind of talk on this particular show. I definitely do want to get into that, but I have a few more questions before just to contextualize that um, or just a few more things <laughs> yeah. I want to bring up. So, so the first thing is, as I mentioned, you had twins, right? Which is, right. I mean, that's, that's like hard mode. That's like parenting hard mode, right? <laughs> Especially for your first time. And it's my understanding that it wasn't an easy childbirth for, for your girlfriend. Right. And that, I mean, I think the, one of the times I spoke to you quite early after they were born, you were in the car driving around LA trying to get organic breast milk or something. Okay. What was that? Can you remind <laughs> oh, me about yeah. that? Okay. So, oh, wow. 
I've kind of put that out of my mind. But yes, for a while, there were postpartum complications. My wife, not my real wife, we live in sin, but we say wife now just because girlfriend doesn't seem to respect the the relationship at this point. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I was driving around looking for donor breast milk (laughs) and not just like randomly looking around, but we threw our doula, we got a doula, which I recommend to everybody. And it's an absolute must, but that's a different story. My doula had turned me on to her donor network of moms that had frozen breast milk, stacked it up for a situation like this where my wife was taking some medicine to combat something called C. diff, which is an abbreviation of the Latin term for the whatever that affliction is, but it's brutal. And she was taking very strong antibiotics, which basically make the breast milk toxic to the babies. And so I was driving around meeting some uh, one of these fine donors at Capitol Records in West Hollywood or wherever that is, <laughs> loading, you know, breast milk into my car like uh, like a longshoreman, you know, getting a, a, a shipment of drugs. Like, get it in there, pack it in nice and tight. I can't have these things falling over. And, and was that the point where you realized your life as an international man of mystery was over? <laughs> it, was, it was probably the 30-hour uh, labor <laughs> that my wife went through where that was very evident. But uh-huh. yeah, man, there were, there were so many things like that where just right off the bat, you're you're just kind of in it and you're functioning and you're just kind of tying one stressful situation into the next as seamlessly as possible and just trying to survive. A buddy of mine told me, you know, very early on, he's like, look, you're right now your goal is to just keep those kids alive. Like that's what you have to do. And I was like, shit, you know, at its at its most base, that's exactly what I was doing. And I didn't give it much more thought than that unless I'd have had enough sleep to really process what was going on. I think, I think I was in shock for a really long time. <laughs> and you know what, I mean, what comes to mind when, when you describe that situation and what you, what you've been through is, you know, you're someone who's lived a very full life and you're always, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to call it for what it is because, and the only reason I feel able to do so is because I lived in the same way for a long time, which is you, you were pretty selfish, right? And, and not, 100%. not douchebag selfish, but like focused on getting the most out of your experience, right? I don't mean you were like disrespecting people or, or, you know, walking over people. You were never that kind of selfish, but you knew what you wanted out of life. Probably 21% douchebag selfish at certain okay. points for sure. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you really knew what you wanted out of life and you, you would take risks and take action. And that's the one, one of the many things I love about you is you're a doer, right? You're like, I want to do this. And you go out and do it. You want to create an art exhibition. So then you spend three months creating artwork and then you put it in an art exhibition. Or if you want to learn to surf, you go and do it. Or if you want to get into a rock band, you do it. Or if you want to go move to LA to try to become an actor, you do it. Right. And I, I love that about you. And even having lived this incredibly rich and full life, you still feel that you've had to compromise quite a bit, you know, and I, I like after having children. And for me, I just think of the guys that had kids when they were like 18, 19, 20, you know, and they hadn't done any of that stuff. Now, that must be really difficult. To me, that sounds incredibly difficult and even a little bit sad. You mean having, having kids that young? 
well, not necessarily that young, but without having lived a full life, which usually goes together with age, right? I mean, it's pretty hard to have lived a full life at age 20. Right. But, but I think it's, it's in many ways less difficult because you don't know what you're missing out on. If your goal is to, you know, sleep with somebody in every country or start and sell a business or, you know, I don't know, compete at a very high level in athletics, unless you're a gymnast or somebody that peaks early. Yeah. There are very few things I can think of where you'd be able to accomplish those sort of powerful you know, life-changing milestones at a young age. So I think if you jump into having a kid, then you, it's sort of the ignorance is bliss. I think the reason people have a harder time when they get older is because they get very calcified in their brain about who they think they are and what their time should be and what it means to them. That's certainly the way it was for me. And so anything that encroached on my creative or artistic desires or the time that I wanted to train or, you know, my my physical goals, I saw it as a, as a hugely oppressive thing. And it's like, yeah, well, I knew I was going to have kids, but I didn't think it would be this time consuming. Yeah, <laughs> you know, fun. in retrospect, it's, it's super naive. But yeah, I, I think it would be easier if you had kids when you were 20 because you didn't know that you could have achieved all these other things. On the other hand, you hear plenty of stories of people that have kids young and then by the time they're 40, they're you know, kids are growing up and they can really double down on the things they never got to do when they were earlier. But I, I like the way I did it. Yeah, it's a really good point. And, and you know, it brings me to another question, which, uh, man, I'm, I'm always real with you because I love you and I know you can take it. But you and I'll and I'll just give you a little bit of sweet before I give you the sour. And that is that <laughs> you're, you are literally one of the most capable people I know. I know there's nothing you cannot do if you put your mind to it. And I can't say that about everyone, right? Like some people just don't have the raw skills or the talents or the charisma to do certain things, but I know you do. And, you know, I look at you and I, I used to think, man, why isn't this guy wherever he wants to be? You know, why isn't he X, Y, or Z, like a captain of industry or famous or why isn't he, why isn't he, why isn't he hit that level? And, and a mutual friend of ours once said to me, it's because he doesn't stay, he changes horses midstream all the time. He's basically chops and changes too much and he never goes deep enough into, into anything. Now, I don't know if that is true, but I, I suspect there might be some truth to it. And I want to tie it back into the fatherhood thing. This is related to something else someone once said to me, which is that when they had kids at a relatively young age, that was the point at which they suddenly started becoming successful because they no longer had those options anymore, right? That it was like, if they started a business, it was like, fuck, this business has to work because I have these these little mouths to feed at home. And I can't just suddenly decide to change gears because it's no longer inspiring me or it's no longer, you know, whatever. And I just wanted to ask you, like, have you, have you seen that? Have you identified this, this kind of like this powerful kind of like, okay, it's do or die time type thing now? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm sure I'm going to be thinking about that traitorous Benedict Arnold, mutual friend of ours, who's talking trash about me to you <laughs> for the rest of the day. No, I, I think that's really, I think it's really accurate, actually, with, with a little bit of a caveat there. Like, I mean, I could definitely say that for, say, software development. 
that could have gone to a different place. But there, there's a lot of things that I've done where I got into it and really enjoyed it, but got everything out of it that I could or went far enough to realize that it really wasn't right for me. And I think that's more about, I mean, you can, you can shape that two ways. That can be, oh, I'm self-aware enough to realize this isn't really my jam. Or, you know, I gave up because I didn't get success fast enough. I mean, it certainly wasn't the case with, with acting. You know, I put uh, many, many, many years into that. And, and I don't think it's something that I'll ever walk away from. But it can't be the number one thing when, yeah, I mean, you have a, a growing family. That's definitely been the number one priority once the babies came out, even up till the point of having, you know, being super pregnant, not me, my wife, um, getting very far along. I was still like, yeah, you know, I can kind of, you know, still just sort of jump around and do the thing. But I guess once the babies actually came out and the, the responsibility was there, it wasn't like, I mean, somebody else, not a mutual friend of ours, but a very dear friend that you would definitely be friends with, said something similar. He's like, oh, I saw my kid and that was it. Like it all hit me. Like this is what it's all about. I never really, <laughs> never really had that. I wanted to, I wanted it to be super powerful for me, but honestly, it wasn't until um, the ceremony. Prior to that, I was sort of shuffling along. I was saving money. I was doing all the right responsible things. I was going against my better judgment in everything that aligned with who I am as a creative an energetic person like, like mm-hmm. software development, that was, that was a means to an end, right? Like it satisfied this, uh, academic Jones of mine to learn JavaScript and, and use my brain. And beyond that, I liked the idea of it more than I actually liked it in practice. And then when I took the job as a digital producer after that, it was the means to an end. It's like, okay. Well, I don't want to write code, but I love hanging out with engineers and creative folks and sort of helping to execute um, in a more production role. But even then, I was like, man, here's the thing, Nicholas. Every single day that I wake up and I'm not doing something that is for me, working for somebody else, for example, I feel like I'm building somebody else's dream. And I finally just had enough of it. Like when I was most at peace, was probably before when I was living in Austin, I had my training business and I was, you know, doing theater at night and shooting films. And, and I I was kind of all along my prerogative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have no problem doing the work. I have no problem like really digging in for the long haul. It's only when I do things that are just so against the grain of my natural gifts and talents. Sure. Like if you, you know, people that are good at JavaScript and they're, extraordinary the best programmers i've met are better than me at that and they thrive in that but they don't do what i do which is you know unique to me sure and i want to make it very clear i made no i make no judgments on you when i made that observation about you you chopping and changing and i i actually respect and admire it it's just um, i guess my question was is were the kids the thing that signified that okay it's time now to that part is over and now it's like pick your pick your direction and fucking go for it. No, no, I don't think so. It's been a combination of things. It was getting laid off was the biggest was the biggest part of that for me. I got laid off in uh, early January of this year, 
And so, uh, let me just, if I may stop you, Thomas, before you tell that story, that you, what I find fascinating is you were the guy who was, you know, living your dreams, taking the risks, you know, not having stable employment because you were self-employed and working as a trainer and an actor. And, you know, that, that, that is inherently unstable when it comes to a paycheck. And then yeah. you, you, you bowed to the man and you went and did a, <laughs> a computer programming course and you got a full-time job and you, you were in the system and you were like, okay, cool. I'm going to take a different tactic. And then you got laid off, dude. And that to me is, it's further reinforces when you, when you live and I'm not, and I'm, I'm no judgment on you, man, but it's just the perfect example of the fact that security doesn't exist. It just doesn't. And if you, if right. you live based on that, like, I, I just don't think that's a recipe for success or happiness. Uh, I agree with that. In fact, I was, so first of all, I was, I got laid off from the, uh, the job that I got laid off from in early January before it wasn't coronavirus related at all, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. but it was not the computer programming job, right? This is the producing job. And I actually was waiting for promotion. I was like, shit, I'm going to get promoted and salary increase is going to be awesome. Wow. And that didn't happen. And it was just such a kick in the balls. Cause I was like, man, I didn't even want to be here anyway. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Like by the mm -hmm. time, by the end of it, it never, the job didn't turn out to be the way it was sold to me. And mm -hmm. that's always, that always sucks. But then you're holding on because you're like, well, I got these golden handcuffs and I, you know, I'm taking care of my family. But once that actually did happen and I realized, holy shit, there is no security. Like you said, I scrambled. I was like, oh my God, I got to do something along these lines. I have to, I must leverage the things that I've done the last three years in order to move into the next position. But every time I would run these simulations in my mind of what it actually felt like and smelled like to be in that environment doing that job. I was like, I, I don't want to do this. And it took some time. And what I think happens to most people is if you get laid off and you're able to find employment relatively quickly right after, you don't have that opportunity to think about whether or not you should be fucking doing it in the first place. Sure. And so I had that time. I had time because it, things were moving forward at different places, but there are lengthy interview processes, right? And I had time to consider whether or not that was something that was going to be a good thing for me. And the more I thought about it and talked to people and just did a lot of meditating on it, I was like, man, you know, I don't want any part of this anymore. I want to, I want to work for myself. I want to be client facing. And when I've done the best for myself is when I have had the biggest impact and impact in other people's lives. Like when I really, really help people is when I've seemed to enjoy the longest string of continuous good days and consistent good days seem to happen when I'm going out of my way to help other people directly. Sure. And I think that that is, I wish I'd learned that lesson at a younger age, but as I, I mentioned in almost every show, I'm, I'm totally convinced that the, the simulation uh, we live in is, has the characteristics of a mirror and that, you know, what you put out or the energy that you put out is, is literally what comes back to you. And if you help others, you're ultimately helping yourself because we're all part 100%. of the one, we're all part of the whole, right? And I've noticed that as well. Uh, just the other day, I was talking to a successful executive who said whenever he noticed, whenever he was on a, on a, a sales team or, or whenever he'd been put on a team where like the superiors were trying to get the the team members to compete against each other to raise everyone's game. He said that whenever he really 
honestly and truthfully wanted his colleagues to do well, he did even better. Right. And wow. that's when he started <laughs> fighting against them and or, or being like, I've got to get more than them. Or I've got to beat this guy. That was when he did the worst. And I think there's something to that, man. I, I mean, I don't know what it is. Like, I, I think it's something to do with this mirror theory that, that I'm so fond of, but I've noticed that over and over again, when, when you come from that place, which is like, there's enough for everyone, you know, let me, let me help. Let me give, let me not try to see what I can get out of the situation. Let me see how much I can help someone. Generally it works out really well and you're excellent at that and you're, you're a giver. So I see, I see great things in your future, whatever you choose that path to be. And it's my understanding you have chosen to be a ninja realtor. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, a real estate agent is, you know, it can go so many different ways, but what I've found in, in speaking to mutual friends of ours again, is that it's just a lifetime of learning. So that really satisfies that that curious gene that I have that never makes, you know, that can, I just can't really settle down. I have tons of questions, but I love, I love that there are, you know, there are just infinite things to learn in this space. And it is as basic as it comes, man. Like I, I feel like I have some bucolic genes as well. Like I'd be just as happy farming the land or, you know, working with, with uh, food in a restaurant, just very primal, basic things. And you and I have talked about that many, many times. But real estate, man, a place to live, a roof over your head, and the nuances of how that is bought and sold is just as basic as it gets. And the sure. fact that I've gone this long without really paying enough attention to it is is one thing that I definitely kick myself for. I mean, we, you and I could be in very different situations had we focused on trying to acquire property when we were in our twenties instead of doing whatever the hell it is we were doing. It just it wasn't even on my radar. Sure, but I think it should it should be on everybody's radar. Agreed, agreed. There's there's two types of people. There's those who own property and those who don't, right? Or the, or the <laughs> landlords and the renters, right? And I remember reading something once um, when I was very young, which it was in a, in a wealth book. And this guy said, rent is what keeps people poor. And the very first thing I thought was, if rent keeps people poor, it's also going to be keeping some people rich, right? And, you know, exactly. it's, it's just, like, it's, it's monopoly, right? Life is like a game of monopoly, as Robert Kiyosaki says. And that's the way you win the game, right? Is you, you have the most, the most, pieces of property right and uh it's it's definitely something i'm looking forward to in, in the next year or two when i start building my my own property portfolio so man let's get into the the topic that i know you want to discuss and i want to discuss as well and no episode of liberation mentor would be complete without having an ayahuasca story so uh, it's been a year you know it was a year since we went and did that out of joshua tree uh, it will a be a year on May 11th. Nicholas. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you do I know <laughs> it to the time and the moment. But uh, you know that honestly, that's one of those memories. You know, I have this this store storehouse in my mind when when everything's get a bit tough or when I'm you know my my state drops, my mood drops. I conjure up these memories, and I've ha there's only a handful of them, maybe like 20 or 30. And they always, if I, if I pull one of these memories up, it changes my state entirely. And one of them <laughs> is that night that we all went out there and did that ayahuasca trip. It was truly a peak experience in my life. And I, uh, I consider it such a privilege that you 
you came with because since I've known you, which is going on like seven or eight years now, I've been wanting to to share in an ayahuasca ceremony with you. So please tell me, I've, I've heard, but for the benefit of those listening, the, the audience, what did you get out of that? Oh my God. I don't, there's, there's definitely no way we have enough time for me to unpack all the things that I got out of it. So let me try and, <laughs> I guess I'll try and uh, condense it all into a TLDR that doesn't make me cry. The, the most powerful thing, first of all, is that uh, it changed my relationship to my son overnight. And honestly, with my, my whole family, but specifically my lessons that night were about how I had treated my son. You and I have often talked about strength and weakness and what we find to be powerful and masculine. And, you know, we're both big fans of what testosterone does for people. And I just, for the first year of my life, I would go through kind of my day. And if my son did things that I thought were weak, or I perceived as weak, I would kind of give him some energetic contempt and disdain. I didn't think much of it. I'm just like this, this weak kid, or, you know, I would, I would mutter just really in a, in a very cruel, but what I thought was sort of innocuous way. Here's the deal. There's nothing that's innocuous when you're putting negative energy out into the world and Mm. she will show you that in the most potent way possible. And so the, the majority of my night was, was just brutally, brutally transformative lessons that changed the way I behave towards my son, towards my partner. And as a human being walking the earth, there's, Hmm. there's no better way to learn compassion and to learn how you've been screwing up than to take very strong medicine with a bunch of really strong people because man, the, you know, that room, we're not going to mention any names was full of some of the toughest guys around. Right. I mean, very experienced martial artists. And with one exception I can think of, everybody was pretty much on the ground getting the beating of a lifetime. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I think about it. Not a day goes by. that I don't think about it, Nicholas, which is, it gives me great pause. Like it was the most transformative night of my life. And that's a, sta- that's a statement. Cause you've had some nights, brother. You've had some fucking I've had nights. Some nights. They, <laughs> they all were, they all were, you know, we, we have a mutual friend that has had a 12 gram dose of psilocybin. And he described that as kindergarten compared to what he went through that night. And, yeah. uh, you know, I will always be grateful to you for sharing that with me because, yeah, I mean, as it stands, it was the most transformative and powerful night of my life. And you can see how people would instantly change their relationship with addictive substances, with with loved ones. It is the strongest medicine I've ever even heard of. Well, actually, I've heard Iboga is even crazier, but I don't, I don't want to touch that right now. But I, I will tell you this for the listeners that don't know and have never had the experience. I went in a very superficial way thinking I was going to get some clarity into whether or not I should record an album based on the rise and fall of Rome, right? Or, oh, should I keep going to, should I keep going to auditions? Should I keep writing scripts? You know, I really thought it was going to be some sort of like career counselor. It was all about you, right? Yeah. Of course. I was like, oh, great, great mother ayahuasca is going to, you know, tell me how my acting career is going to go. No, absolutely not. 
our, our friend told me, it gives, still gives me chills every time I think about this. He said, you know, they say that as soon as you decide to take the medicine, it starts working. Mm. And I often wonder, like, how would my experience have been different if I had been much closer to that time? But because I had already had children, I just have so many theories about what's really going on um, when you have the medicine. The way that she looked to me, nobody else has described. But when I Google um, ayahuasca, for example, a lot of the imagery is is right in line with what I saw. The mind was way, way, way more powerful and terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it was really scary, man. And it was because I needed it. I asked yeah. for an experience that was disciplined and tenacious and pretty much relentless. And I got it in spades. Yeah. And I think I need to make clear as well, which is testament to just what an amazing human being you are, is you do live, you have oodles of self-discipline, man. I mean, like when I mentioned earlier about how you were chopping and changing careers, it was in no way implying that that was due to weakness or lack of discipline. Because I mean, right after the, (laughs) right after the ceremony, you didn't eat for another seven days. You did a water fast which that's correct. That, that blew my mind. I mean, that is truly inspiring. I think that affected you that night affected you more profoundly than pretty much anyone else with the exception of perhaps some one other person there. But I mean, anyone sitting on the fence, anyone trying to decide whether they should try the medicine or not, what would you say to them? <laughs> Great question. I, I think I've always told people like when you're, when you're ready you'll find a way to make it happen. But really, I think it is for everyone. But I think there are a lot of people, like I remember asking you and one of our mutual friends that was there, you know, because I really think some people in my life, like my father, for example, what would it be like for him to have all of his ideas about the way consciousness works and what's really in the band of reality that we can't see most of the time because to me, the stuff that was revealed was so mind-blowing that I, I just want everybody to see it, right? It's like, you don't understand. Sure. Like it's, it's, it's way more than what this podcast and than this moment. But the general consensus was, hey, look, when you're you know, 70 plus and you've always had a very straightforward opinion of the world, very linear, that the most you've ever dabbled with is a little cannabis or you know, a lot of red wine, it's going to be a huge, huge shock for the system. Yeah. That's for sure. But I still, I still think it's for everyone. I just think you have to, you have to decide to do it in your own time. And man, I will never be able to say enough about the guardians that took care of us throughout that experience because I've told people this before. When we, <laughs> when we showed up, to me, they looked like a bunch of extras from Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> like, <laughs> like scarves and eye patches and shit. I was like, what is going on here? But when, listen, when she, when she visited the temple, when she being ayahuasca, when she came in, oh my, like I have the hairs on my arm completely standing up right now. Um, when she came through, those guys were the most professional incredible people I've, I've ever come across. Um, oh. I, I just couldn't believe how, how composed they were through the entire thing. You know, I, just, I just don't get it. It's beyond my, by, beyond my reasoning. I just don't understand. Yeah. That they were, they were truly wonderful. And that was, you know, it's always, it's always a powerful experience and there's always deep transformation and learning, but I got to say 
in, in all the times I've done ayahuasca, that was one of the, my absolute favorite experiences, largely because you were there, right? And, you know, I reflect on that, that it was only one night that we were there, but I reflect on it often and how important it is to have like-minded people in your life and people that lift you up and people that can do things like that with you and people that, that want to help you grow. And, and you've always been, since I've known you, you've been one of those people to me. And I, man, I, I just honor you and I thank you so much for your time. I know you've got those two kids to get back to. And I, man, you're just, you're, you're just one of the best fucking human beings I know, dude. You really are. <laughs> thank you so much. You know, my life has changed since we met in, in, in so many ways. Some, not having to do with you have been really hard and some others having to do with you have been really hard, <laughs> namely that ceremony. But it was it's it's the greatest gift I've ever received in my life. And you know, I, I have you to thank for that. No, brother, you did you did the work. Uh, you know, like I appreciate that, but you did the work. And there's gonna be more. We need to do another one soon. <laughs> um, oh my God. <laughs> Thomas, if um, the people out there in LA and California, I know there's quite a few of them listening, want to buy a luxury property from the most handsome and charismatic person in Los Angeles, how would they get hold of you? Oh, well, first of all, uh, the thing with Sotheby's is that uh, luxury is an experience, not a price point. So um, <laughs> everyone is welcome. Um, but you, they can check out thomashusking.com. That's H-U-I-S-K-I-N-G.com. Or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. It's just my name, Thomas Husking. I'd love to connect, even if you don't want to buy a place, really. I will tell you this. Connecting with people is part of what I've done since I left my, well, since I was laid off from my old job. And one of the things that I have been doing as a result is, is reaching out with the old uh, letter, with a, with a note. Oh, I, did, I forgot. I wanted to speak about that. Yeah. It has brought me more pleasure as a result of connecting with people than anything else in the last few years. I mean, just unexpected joy to hear or share a memory with somebody who you haven't really been in touch with in a long time. And I, I just love connecting with folks. So yeah, I mean, if you, if you just want to connect, you want to chat, I love that. I think it's great. You learn so much about people. It's totally worth it. Awesome. And that's actually how we got to know each other. When I was doing London Real, you just reached out, right? Like, and we became great friends. If you hadn't done that, you know, like, our lives would both be very different. And, and I'm a big believer in that. If you want to connect with someone, if you feel the urge or the instinct, if there's a calling and you think, oh, I need to, I need to connect with this person to trust that, right? Trust it. And, and usually good things come of it. Yeah. And if, and if anyone needs any sweet suggestions on, you know, making baby formula at home or planting a garden <laughs> or during a quarantine or any, any other things, uh, yeah, just, just hit me up. I'd be happy to chat. Awesome. Thomas, brother, bless you and chat soon. Thank you, man. Have a great, great day. Talk to you soon. I told you he was an amazing human being. What a, what a cool dude. Again, he's given me energy and lifted me up and I just appreciate him for that so much. The thing that he was talking about at the end, connecting with people, specifically using notes or written notes, has been a wonderful thing for me. And I think you guys might appreciate it if, if you're looking for a a new, um, it's not so much a hobby as it is a practice, 
And I think it's, you could probably classify it as a mindfulness practice. So basically every day I just, I write a, a short letter, an actual letter, not an email or a text message to two people in my life that I care about or that have influenced me and just send it off to them. And I think I've now done about 60, 65 letters. And, you know, even if nothing comes of it, even if they don't get back to me, the act of doing it, I find very relaxing and very enjoyable and just raises my vibration. And it's just a wonderful practice. I highly recommend it to anyone. Give it a try. Okay, guys, I will be more regular with podcast episodes from now on. Now that I've got the new site up and all the systems are in place and everything's ready to go, you're going to see a lot more regular shows and, and some other cool stuff. As I said at the beginning of the episode, head on over to my new site a lot of effort went into it and i think you guys will will enjoy it it's it's pretty cool it's liberationmental.com and uh until next week peace out <laughs>